again and welcome to the Red Dwarf intro cast where we talk about Red Dwarf because uh, it's a cool show. Uh, episode by episode, long-time fans and newbies alike journey into the far reaches of space on the mining ship Red Dwarf. My name is Heath. I am Angela. I'm Shane. And I'm Nick. Hello, Nick. Hi, Nick. Hello, Nick. Hello. What did you do with Paul? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Where is Paul? I know you. I know you mentioned it last week, but I've, I kind of missed that part of the. Paul is uh, away. I actually forget why, too, but he, he let us know that he would be away this week. But he should be back next week, and I'm sort of intrigued because he was very particular that he be back for next week's show. So I'm yes. I'm curious about the next episode, uh, but we will, we will get to that later on. Because this week we are talking about Series 4, Episode 1, Camille. Uh, but before we get into Camille, uh, let's get to know our special guest. Nick, if you would tell our loyal listeners who you are, where you're from, and uh, sort of your history and background with Red Dwarf. Uh, well, I'm from London, as you have quite uh, pointed out already before we started recording. Um, Red Dwarf-wise, I've been watching it my whole life. Um, ever since I was a kid, like it was airing as I was growing up, and I seem to remember like watching episodes here and there. And absolutely falling in love with it. And then when I was able to, I started buying like the videos and the DVDs and stuff and just spending my all my teenage years watching it. So I um, completely immersed myself in it from about the age of 12 upwards, I think. Cool. Cool beans. Well, we have been really enjoying it. And this episode in particular, I was very fond of. Um, Shane, do you want to read the of synopsis? Crichton discovers a female machinoid called Camille when he investigates the distress call. The two of them seem to be made for each other until Camille meets the rest of the crew and appears to him as a hologram, to, to Lister as a leather jacketed human, and to the cat as himself. She is a pleasure girl, made to reflect the <laughs> desires of whoever looks at her. In reality, she is a green blob. Undeterred, Crichton continues their relationship, unaware her long-lost boyfriend is still out there. Awesome. Well, let me tell you, we got uh, a new season started up here, and so before we get to talking about Camille, Angela and I had some fun. We just decided, since we have all of these spoilery opening credits, we watched the credits mm -hmm. through once or twice, and we made a list of our impressions of mm -hmm. what we were seeing. So just just for our listeners' sake, I know that you can't really comment on these because probably it would be a spoiler mm -hmm. if you did, but we just wanted to give you our stream of consciousness on what we saw happening here uh, for Series 4. So, Pink mm -hmm. Ghost, Talking Crichton Heads, Crash, Battering Ram Crichton, Godzilla Bird, Borg Lister, Dissolving Halley, uh, exploding Monster, Earth Bumping Into Mars, Twin Cats, Regenerating Crichton, and Robocop. Chunks on Robocop. Yes. Yes. So that that's what we uh, are going to be watching for. I think the only one that we actually saw this episode was Twin Cats. Yep. I think that's yep, right, yeah. Definitely. So... I actually kind of hate that uh, that the episode spoiled the Twin Cats thing. Because I, I totally knew that's what was going to happen because he was wearing that rather uh, unique outfit. Yes. 
Yes, I don't know. The the opening credits having very dramatic scenes from all six um, series episodes. I mean, it's okay, but yeah, it does spoil things. Like, I'm waiting for the uh, cybernetic blister, and I'm waiting for Earth to crash into Mars... And I'm no, it may have just been two. It may have just been two random uh, planets, but it really looked like Earth and Mars as yeah. far as the size differential and whatnot, or at least the colors. So, who can say? Uh, well, y'all can't obviously because spoilers. <laughs> um, all right, uh, something new. We had the episode name scrolling across the screen in giant letters. That's yeah. kind of odd. Yeah, they keep we playing around with the format, and not all of the changes are the best. I don't, I don't know, I sort of miss the old I, opening credits. I, I will say that I do. I, I miss the dramatic opening credit bit, uh, but, you know, I don't particularly mind either way. And I miss the um, Holly distress call. That I do miss. I, miss, I liked when Holly would tell funny jokes before the episode. I think it's to give it a more like upbeat mm. feel for the show, though, because from series three onwards, there's a lot more happening sort of on and off the ship, as opposed to kind of just sitting around a table talking. So I think it's trying to sort of convey that as the as the titles roll. It's saying, look, this is going to be a kind of fast paced show as opposed to just your standard sitcom where you might just be sat in a flat or something looking at a telly chatting. Fair enough. Yeah, but there was a lot Although, of stuff that happened in series one and two. Yeah, not not as much though. There, there, there were more sitting around talking episodes. But to be fair about it, we really liked the sitting around <laughs> talking episodes. <laughs> um, yeah. So this episode uh, starts with a scene from Liar Liar, uh, in which see, see, I was thinking of the episode of Star Trek where the the Cardassians are um, torturing Picard and he's like, there are four lights! Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think you'll find that's Chain of Command Part 2. Oh, I just got some much Star Trek. <laughs> a much better, uh, better episode than the one in which the uh, Kardashians torture mm. Picard uh, by making him watch their various reality shows. <laughs> yeah. He completely cracked it. He was like, do you want the Enterprise? I'll give it up to you. Just stop it. (laughs) If ever there is a TV crossover, it needs to be that. (laughs) Keeping up with the Cardassians? A couple of things, actually, before we actually get into the episode itself. Um, Mainly, uh, they actually move studios. Hmm. Did they now? Oh yeah, I thought I thought I remembered someone on the Facebook mm. uh, group oh, that's right. mentioning that. Yeah, yeah, I think it got mentioned in the comment uh, comments at the end of last mm. week. Um, well, it looks like the same sets. Did they like just carefully move all of the sets? Pr- pretty much, yeah. I mean, yeah, they shipped them down from Manchester yeah. to yeah. London. Uh, the Manchester studios are actually being refurbished, I believe. At the time, so they couldn't mm-hmm. film um, back in Manchester, up in Manchester. So they moved down to Shepparton Studios, mm-hmm. and hmm. 
and with the one big advantage of actually moving to Shepparton Studios was the sets were actually could be permanently fixed all the time. Nice. So they weren't. So they could actually rehearse in the sets instead yeah. of. Yeah. So is there not going to be any major continuity changes in the uh, bedroom set? Because, you know, we have had major changes mm. in the bedroom set just randomly, episode mm. to episode. Yeah, I was thinking that when I was listening to last week's episode, you were talking about that. And I think that does come from when they were in Manchester, they'd have to put the sets up for recording and then take them down during the week mm. and then mm-hmm. put them back up to record. Whereas now, like yeah. Shane just said, they'd be up for the entire production. Mm. Cool. So everything could stay as it was. And also, one of the advantages, because the set's being up all the time, and of course they can actually rehearse in the sets. How they used to rehearse before uh, was in the rehearse studios in Acton in London. And mm-hmm. they re- would rehearse with tape markings on the floor, indicating the dimensions of the set. Hmm. Now they can rehearse in the proper set, and they can't say, oh, the camera's going to be over there, <laughs> but it can't be over there because it's gonna, that's yeah. a wall. <laughs> but wow. now they can actually get the camera moved. So all these episodes where they were exploding them and throwing them across the set on trampolines, they didn't even get to rehearse on set. They were just... Sorry? I said all of these episodes before this, then when they were exploding things and throwing them across mm. the room with trampolines and they weren't even getting to rehearse on that set. Yeah. They were just uh, yeah. using tape. Wow. That's sad. I'm glad that they have studios. And um, Shepparton Studios. I'm sure you've heard of Shepparton Studios. You would think that, wouldn't you? (laughs) (laughs) We have not, actually. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. They are world famous. Okay. Do tell. I'll, I'll... I will do, I will do. Shepparton Studios are probably, well, one of the most famous uh, studios in, well, in probably in the world, to be fair. Mm-hmm. And I'm... You can, cut, you can cut this bit out. You can cut this bit out. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting you not, no, it's cool. not no, to you know, know it. We're just, um... do, you want, do you want a list of films? That's though? what I'm, I'm just Googling it now. The two two that spring to mind would be James Bond yeah. and I believe Harry Potter. Some oh, of that nice. was filmed on Shepparton, I think. I might be wrong. Cool. See, I, I know James remember. Bond definitely. And things like Alien as well. Oh wow. So like it's Alien. a it's a big uh, movie uh studio, I suppose. Um oh. I was there last year for like the filming of the recent Red Dwarf, and it is lo- basically just loads of different, like almost like aircraft hangers that just act as sound stages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of varying you know, sizes. I, just, oh, I, I rarely, I rarely keep up with where things are filmed unless it's just if I see the same place over and over, then and then it's like a, a location shoot. Shoot, then I might look it up. But now I, I'm, I'm just not really following movie studios very much. So uh, this is good to know. Films like The Omen. Uh, Captain oh, yeah. America. That's um, a good one. Alien, as uh, Alien, Thor, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Henry V, Hamlet. 
So they had a British studio, just not a British Robin Hood. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly one of my favorite lines in any movie ever is in Robin Hood Men in Tights. When uh, uh, Prince John asks, you know, why should the people listen to you? Uh, why why will, will you be able to lead them against me? And, and Carrie Elwes says, because unlike some Robin Hoods, I can speak with an English accent. <laughs> And looking right at the camera, like, F you, Kevin Costner. Honestly, though, Kevin Costner, I'm glad he's not doing anything anymore. I think he's much better. He's he's much better on uh, behind the camera. I think he he has actually helped make some really great movies. I'm just his acting. I'm not too big of a fan of. Because it's monotone and not very interesting. So Red Dwarf. Red Dwarf. That doesn't have Kevin Costner, <laughs> thankfully. Uh, now, we don't know that. We have not seen all of Red Dwarf. We're going to see Kevin Costner come on, and we'll be like, dang it. <laughs> all right. So we learned that Crichton cannot lie, or has extreme mm-hmm. difficulty lying. Um, I am going to say, one thing that I really liked here was that they let him just act and and uh, pause on the on various syllables instead of doing the max headroom dut, 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 dut effect yeah. that I, I I never think that works I, I much uh, I liked uh, Robert Llewellyn's just mm-hmm. acting that much better did you uh... yeah his glitches were much more glitchy and not an obvious mm-hmm. effect uh, Crichton's got a new head mm. oh does he hmm. I didn't yeah, really notice uh, they uh, creating a brand new makeup technique, actually, for Robert this series, and cut down the makeup time of between five and six hours, um, mainly uh, down to about one, maybe one and a half. Um, Excellent. How they did it before was to actually put the mask on his head and then paint the mask. Neither mm-hmm. they made it from a different material, so they were to paint the mask beforehand, then pop it on his head. Much nice. nicer. So, uh, no more half-past-four wake-up calls. Yeah. <laughs> I liked the fish, the simulated fish in the background for this scene. It made me think of Picard's fish. Of course it did. Would it have been too early for Windows screensavers at, at that point when they made it? A bit. 1992... No, wait, 1991, actually. Um, so this was... I don't know. Yeah, this was not, this was made in 91, so when was the first Windows? Wouldn't it have to be... Well, the first Windows was... 96 yeah. or so? No, because there was Windows 95, and that was not not the first Windows. There was like Windows 3.1 that people used for years before that, and then there was just sort of the the Windows that was a step up from DOS Tree. So it was around. I don't know if screensavers were a thing though. Yeah, I just wondered if it I might have been a, a reference to that. Thing. Windows 3.0 was released in 1990. So about so, the time that this is being filmed. Yeah. So, yeah, you know what? I had a computer from that era, and it did have a screensaver. It was of, like, uh, um, the Grim Reaper 
popping up and saying, like, be back in five minutes or something stupid like that. Because it was 1990. <laughs> I should point out the computer I was running at the time had BBC Basic. Had, BBC had Basic. what Basic? BC Basic. Yeah, it was a it was a uh, very very rudimentary um, computer. Um, you, BC Basic was a programming language. Oh. Um, I had an Apple too. Uh, <laughs> it, um, it was developed in 1991 with a native um, programming language for the MOS technology six Zero two, based on Acom BBC Micro Home Computer System. Okay. The computer I had, I think, actually, the computer I had around this time before I got the early, early Windows one was a Commodore Gold. So, playing lots of uh, Zork and Beyond Zork. I had fraction miniatures on mine. <laughs> Fraction munchers. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was styling see. with my fraction and word munchers. My mom was a teacher, so I always got the educational games. Sometimes they were awesome, sometimes they weren't. Sad. So, uh, simulated fish, and then uh, sort of a callback here to the early Crichton days, uh, uh, pre-Robert Loyalan, uh, with Lister dedicated to corrupting Crichton and breaking him of his uh, master-servant program thing. And uh, I like that dynamic. I, I like that there's sort of this tug-of-war here between Lister, who wants a partner in crime, and Rimmer, who is perfectly content to have a servant. But then, then Lister's definition of humanity, or at least sentience, is like the ability to misbehave. I sort of like that, too. Well, free will, yeah. Yeah. But I love how the lies just delved into absurdism. Yeah, oh, that whole... Yeah. Not I don't want to use all of the quotes, quotes but, but yeah, yeah, his his whole diatribe on what all the bananas and oranges were was awesome. <laughs> uh Holly's animation has changed a little bit. Um she is a little bit smaller, mm. a little bit more digital. And, longer uh, hair? I think Angela noted. Indeed. Yeah, Angela she has noted longer the longer hair, hair and it looks fabulous. Seriously, I love Holly. Boy, do I wish they would let her do things. Mm. Anything. Like, ever since it went from um, Norman Lovett to, and I I can't believe I haven't memorized H- Hattie, this. Hattie uh, Habridge? No. What, yeah. What, the new, new Holly. Ha- yeah, the new Yeah, what, what is her name? Hattie Hayridge. Yes. yes. She has had to beg for, like, any sort of part. They just cut her out of everything. She doesn't do the distress calls anymore. Um, and she's just sort of auxiliary to every scene. It's kind of sad. 
I mean, I guess part of that is because they brought in Crichton, and t- to be really fair, this this uh, episode, I I really really liked Crichton mm-hmm. quite a lot, but I I do sort of miss uh, miss the uh, the more frequent interaction mm-hmm. with Holly because Holly is just such a a good comedic character in both iterations. Well, it's nice to have two uh, Crichton episodes back to back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although, how long of a uh, break do did people get between episodes? I believe... Like, was it a full year or even more it, than It would that? have been about a year, yeah. I believe it was actually longer than that. I think it was more like uh, 18 months. Wow. See, that's what drives me crazy about Doctor Who. We get these... Really, 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 really long stretches between episodes, mm. including episodes that are cliffhangers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, actually, the last episode um, aired of season three on the 19th of December, 1989, and this episode aired on the 14th of February. So about so about fifteen months. Fourteen months, yeah. But yeah, as as comparing uh first episodes of seasons, mm. then this is like leap years ahead of the beginning of season three. Mm. Well, th- this was never pit. originally the start of season three though, was it? I don't oh, season think. four you mean? No, so it's season uh, four. No, no, it wasn't. Uh, they reached. They changed the schedule so this would go out on Valentine's yeah, Day. Yeah, and also, uh, I don't want to. Uh, there was another reason as well. They changed the schedule. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I, I'm trying yeah, to avoid so saying I, that so as well. <laughs> okay, but we'll get we'll get to that. We'll so get to you that know, when we get to the episode. We've been talking. Uh, we've had a few Star Trek references in our episode, but uh, where where that was the whole um, tales of the riverbank, the next generation was that them sort of doing a wink and nod at Star Trek TNG and oh, it had to have been. Well, tales from the riverbank uh, was originally a a classic children television program over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, am vaguely like I had heard of it. I don't think I've ever seen any of it, but I knew that it had um, Stephen Fry. So. Well, was it sort of like Wind in the Willows? Like in that vein? Uh, actually, I, um, it was. Um, actually, it was Canadian. Um. Uh-huh. It, um. <laughs> Oh, wait a minute. Okay, there has been... There is a Tales of... That's funny. Okay. The one that okay. I had heard of was a, is a recent one. Um, so there is a Tales of the River- Riverbank The Next Generation now. Oh. Apparently, this was... An, the, I'm looking it up now as, as we speak. So this was 1960, yeah. Yeah. the original. And the, the one I had heard of was just in the past few years here. Stephen mm. Fry did a thing. Uh, in 2008. <laughs> <laughs> way, yeah, way past us. That's funny. Way past us. Um, yeah, the, okay. The original one was done in 1960. Uh, running 143 episodes. It was, well... Wow. It was, 
it was Canadian, but it was a co it was a co produced with the UK. Um, oh, it looks like Milo and Otis moving the critters around and yeah, telling yeah, funny yeah. stories with them. Um, yeah. Okay. Though maybe not as horrific as my own. I would hope not. Was. If if you ever want your childhood completely ruined, look up the making of Milo and Otis and how many cats died. Mm-hmm. I've on. never heard of that program. I have to be honest with you. Oh really? I, you know, I figured that it would be over there too because it was it was a movie. Uh, but uh, Dudley Moore oh, okay. narrated it. Um, and it was about a cat and a little pug that were best friends and went on a journey together and. Blah blah blah, but, but they like apparently these real animals. And... Uh, yeah, and apparently to get the footage, they that they could not say that no animals were harmed in the production okay. of that. <laughs> Boy, we are wandering way off. Okay, yes. Riverbend, the next generation. Uh, I think they're sort of. It seemed like they were sort of uh, riffing on William Shatner a bit when they talked about trying to find a you know whatever happened to the original hamster. And, you know, out of work and embarrassing things. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rimmer calls Crichton that idiot mm-hmm. droid. Not to be confused with droid meat. <laughs> <laughs> Being a complete, complete, what was it, smiggid? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Crichton does uh, start to rebel a bit uh, to check out the crash ship, which looked a little bit like a Y-wing to me. Mm-hmm. And the the interior looked like the ship from Aliens. Was it the ship from Aliens? If it was on that studio, surely not. Uh, was it? Surely that's not still hanging I around. Don't I think don't think so. so. No. Okay. It was probably just some gantry in the sky somewhere, like on the roof yeah. of the studio. Yeah. But I didn't I, know, like... I, I I wouldn't have thought that it was until you just said that Alien was filmed there, and I was like, <laughs> but no, no okay. surely not. Okay. <laughs> I did like that the thing that causes um, Crichton to rebel is not just, you know, for the sake of rebelling or I don't want to do that, but... You know, it seems like altruism. So mm-hmm. taking something that is actually part of his personality and making it human, mm-hmm. you know? Which they totally stole that plot for Star Trek Insurrection. No one, yeah. <laughs> no, no one. Don't mention No one needs to see Star, <laughs> Star Trek, Trek Insurrection. Insurrection. <laughs> no one needs to see that film. Yeah, the less no said one. about that, the better. Not their greatest effort. No. So I have written here, it's another Crichton, a female Crichton. Camille, yay. Yeah. And I I was all excited to have, like, another female cast member that may hang on or may be recurring, but then I figured, nah, they're they're not going to do that. And that was uh, the female Crichton was actually played by Judy Pascoe. The real, the, the real okay. Life, I was going to ask, the real yeah, life partner of uh, well, the real life partner of Robert Llewellyn, who plays Crichton. Yeah, is that a fact? Wow. 
Wait, didn't someone in the Facebook group say that the um one of them was the real life girlfriend of Craig Charles? Did they just get their girlfriends to come on the set and get into makeup? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> well, um... I don't think I don't think Rimmer's ver- Rimmer's version of Camille was his no. girlfriend. Was Chris's girlfriend? That was an actress, mm. but the uh, Lister's version looked, like was his girlfriend. Yeah, because yeah. Ba- uh, basically, cool. as well, uh, they actually filmed uh, the uh, um, the scene with um, Lister's girlfriend with another actress, but it didn't quite feel right. So they brought in Suzanne, mm. uh, the C- Craig Charles's then girlfriend, for reshoots. The character was written to resemble Kochansky, but references in his dialogue was actually mm-hmm. cut. So, the, but it's anchored and still reference her t- as Kochansky Camille. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So, um, Crichton's mm-hmm. Camille, her accent was really, mm-hmm. really weird. Uh, some of her intonations were just really bizarre. Uh, like, I don't know if she was going for the same sort of Canadian thing as Robert Llewellyn. No. But, it, I mean, it sounded like she was trying to do an, an American accent, but her R's were just really, really wrong. And, yeah, I couldn't figure well, out what she was going for. Ju- Judy's Australian, so I think it was just her own normal accent. <gasps> oh. Mm. Uh. But she didn't sound... Like, it sounded like she was trying to do an accent mm. and not all that well. Mm. Uh, well, I've actually got a quote from an, from an interview with her in front of me, specifically, mm-hmm. specifically oh. asking about her voice. Um, so yes. I'll, quote the, I'll quote the interview. First of all, they wanted Swedish. I don't know why. Okay. So I did a, so oh. I did a Swedish sure. accent, but that was a bit repetitive. So then we thought we should make crash match Crichton somehow and be some sort of American type applicant because I think all the others were trying to match though Kachansky had a similar skate accent and Rimmer's other half is very very English mm-hmm okay so yeah that's that's about what I thought it just I don't think it worked as well as Robert Llewellyn's it, it wasn't as well developed but if she was his yeah girlfriend at the time then that makes sense yeah, and although didn't they didn't they want Crichton to be Swedish at first? Uh, I like don't I remember that they I wanted. Don't. Him to well, if you where did you hear that? Because that's news to me. They did actually. Yes, I think so. I I, I remember seeing that on a documentary. I thought I remembered someone in the Facebook yeah. group mentioning that, but I may be imagining it. I've completely missed that bit there. Well, it, was, is it, on, it turns out that... Do you reckon that, on, like, the uh, Series 3 documentary or something? I think so, yeah. It turns out that Diva Droids is just a subsidiary of Ikea, so... <laughs> ah. <laughs> okay! <laughs> that works. That's why... <laughs> Meaning they're really, uh, really so... hard to put together, and... <laughs> yes. Yes. Hmm. So, um... Yeah, Crichton, he falls for, and it seems like things are going to go well mm. for Crichton. And then, after they get back to the ship, we see what's really going on. Uh, that she appears as the ideal mate for whoever sees her. 
which, funnily enough, we immediately thought of two uh, sci-fi shows that pulled that same uh, shtick. Uh, the one I remembered was Futurama, in which there was an episode called uh, A Bicyclops Bi- Built for Two, which was an alien that could shapeshift and pretend to be the ideal mate of people and was trying to convince Leela that he was the last remaining Cyclops of his species and that they would rebuild the species together and really he wasn't a Cyclops at all. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then I remember uh, what was the, one you remembered? the Star Trek episode <laughs> where it was pretty much the same thing. There was a, a woman who didn't shapeshift, but she changed her personality to fit whatever man she was with. And uh, she was supposed to be this politician's wife to end this war or whatever. Uh, But she ended up uh, hanging around Picard too long and ended up getting stuck. It's his ideal mate. But that meant she also got his sense of duty and loyalty. So she ended up running off anyway with the politician. Which that TNG episode, The Perfect Mate, aired almost exactly a year after this episode of (laughs) Frank Dwarf. But, you know, they could have played Camille as either just comically sexy or as evil. But no, there, there seemed to be a sense of real pathos to her. Like, she really didn't want to get on a ship with more than one guy. She wanted to make it work to where she would have some sort of stable identity. I mean, it's got to be... But for that to happen, uh, for that to happen, she would have had to meet a a centaur. (laughs) Shut up. Because stable, I didn't... Like a horse. Oh... Uh, was that a good joke? Oh, hey. God. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Heath. He'll be there all week. Um, leave, leave your donations by the door. <laughs> so we get some really funny um, cross-purposes talk here between Rimmer and Crichton when they don't realize that they're seeing different things. Uh, we find out that Rimmer had a thing for his sister-in-law. I love all the implied incest in Rimmer's family and that his like his uncle came into his tent thinking that it was his mother and French kissed him. Um just the really, really messed up yeah. relationships there. Uh it really explains a lot of how Rimmer turned out the way he did. So yeah, we were instantly wondering what Lister's type would be. Oh, and I really thought that um, that Rimmer's um, Camille, she really favored him. Like, she could have been related to Chris Berry. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the nose especially. Well, they're no relation, so... Yeah, yeah. I just thought they favored uh, let's see. They get to the ship. Uh, we get to see Leather Jacket Camille. She's kind of cool. And we got that they're not only seeing different things, but hearing very different things. Like, it plays around completely with perception and reality. Which is weird. 
I'm trying to figure out exactly how that works. Maybe telepathic. Like not a, like. Say again. I said it may be telepathic. Yeah. So it, imp like it implants into people... your mind what you want to see. Mm-hmm. But like, how many how many different people could um, Camille project an idealized image to at a time? Uh, she reminded me in some ways. Okay, get out your bingo cards. It's time for another Harry Potter reference. She reminded me in some ways of uh, of a Boggart. Um, mm -hmm. except instead of uh, projecting what someone fears, um, she projects, you know, their ideal mate. So I'm wondering, you know, what happens if she gets, like, in a room full of 20 people or 100 people? Is she able to continually um, project that many different images, or is it a strain on her? Also, she said that they are asexual, mm -hmm. and so I'm assuming that were there any females on the ship, that she would be simultaneously projecting male mm -hmm. and female mm -hmm. images. Yeah, it's possible. I, think, I mean, I, 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 think I, I would think that she was designed to be sort of used, I suppose, um, by, like, only one or two people at a time. So maybe she can do, like, small groups of people, but, like, she wasn't ever intended to be, like, put on a podium in front of hundreds of people in, like, a room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, um... I think it's instinctive. Like, I don't think she can absolutely control unless she just stops projecting altogether. But, like she did when she turned into the green blob. Hmm. So in that way, we get into the same sort of questions that Crichton is facing as to free will. If she is forced to be the ideal mate for whoever she's around, then does she really have any control or choices over her life as a genetically engineered life form? Mm -hmm. So in that way, maybe her and Crichton do have some commonalities that they could have based a relationship on. But then she got They're on that ship serve others. because... Their problems didn't amount to a hill of beans. <laughs> a hill of space mm. beans. <laughs> yeah, Angela, we were theorizing. I was thinking that she was uh, a droid, but a, you know, like a, a, a pleasure bot type thing that worked on telepathic principles. Angela was figuring mutation, and it was somewhere in between the two. Yeah. Genetically engineered life form. Wait a minute, Gelf. So were the Gelfs in the Dark Crystal also genetically engineered life forms by the <laughs> the the creepy Skirax things and and the I, I think anyway. that's just a reused word. Mm. Knocks it. Right, so Cat's ideal mate is Himself. Cat Yay. That was cool. And kind of, uh, you know, he's never actually been with anyone, so th that would, you know, describe his sexual experience. Anyway, I was I was expecting Marilyn Monroe though. <laughs> oh yeah, because well, he's got that thing. Reverse mermaid. Oh yeah. 
as per uh, better than life, I suppose. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And I love that he didn't tell Lister. Mm-hmm. That was cool. <laughs> So, so yeah. uh, Camille then reveals its true self as a slime monster. Yep. And Crichton was very cool about it. Or commonly known, commonly known in the trade as an office chair with wheels. You know what? To be fair, I uh, I actually made a note that their creature effects were not bad. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, it's not like, like Stan Winston hanging out on set, but the whole, uh, the tentacle thing and the eye stalk and, and just the general look of, of, uh, Camille, I thought was rather effective for what they needed. Mm Mm-hmm. Like an organic Dalek. Yeah. And the eye, they worked really hard to make very expressive. Mm-hmm. And in the scene um, when Crichton goes on the date with her, at suddenly there's a parrot's bar on the G deck. Is that the first time we've seen that? I think uh, so. Yeah. Or was first time we've seen that bar? Was? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she's uh, the creature. It's holding a glass with one oh. of its tentacles, and I thought that looked really. Good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was a disaster from start to finish. It, was, finish, it, it was. Um, that, <laughs> Wait, that, was that was a complete disaster. Yeah. Oh, really? Um, the blob, as it were, couldn't keep hold of her drink and kept dropping it. Once losing the cocktail umbrella and cherry decoration in the soup. And it just kept falling out. <laughs> <laughs> Was it gazpacho mm. And Crichton could never get the, uh, get his straw like in his mouth either because he just kept floating to the top of the drink and kind of falling out. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you know, I, I guess if they had trouble uh, getting it, it, it was at least worth the shot. Because, yeah. I mean, I, it was only like five seconds, but I was like, huh, that thing's holding a drink. It looks pretty cool. Um, Angela, at this point, was theorizing that Crichton was pulling a Casablanca in that he was pretending to like the slime monster in order to spare its feelings. Mm-hmm. Um turned out to be sort of the opposite, but she was definitely on the right track. Uh, Having never seen Casablanca, I'm completely lost on this episode. (laughs) I'm sorry, what was that? I said I've never seen Casablanca, so all the references completely go by me on this episode. Oh. (laughs) It's a good flick. And it's nice. It's one of the greatest movies of all time. (laughs) You can't really... Describe it as a good flick. <laughs> I stand by my and uh, by my, it's nice, uh, to review. S- nice to see the cinema back. Mm-hmm. Certainly in a different way than we saw it last time. Yeah. Or you, you know, bigger budget and all that. Mm-hmm. It has been a while. Well, the Scudders had been chasing everyone out so they could watch their uh, westerns. 
I also noticed in these scenes, um, sort of starting with where Crichton wants to go on a date with uh, with Camille and then on through the end of the episode, his accent and his mannerisms, his, his whole acting changes quite a bit. Um, he drops his more uh, overemphasized uh, parts of his speech. He talks with more emotion. Um, it's, it's a bit more human than his usual um, sort of put on... Uh, Canada droid accent I'm going to hazard a guess that everything from when he goes on the date to pretty much the end of the episode as it's little bits here and there probably wasn't filmed in front of the audience it might have been like pre-recorded or or like recorded after the episode was shot so Hmm. he's not going to have that adrenaline rush of being in front of a crowd um, and it's going to be there's going to be a it's going to be a much more intimate shoot with just him and Camille and a couple of cameras, as opposed to playing up the the character of Crichton to three hundred people in the studio. That yeah, that very well might account for it. Well, you know, it was I I actually sort of liked it. It was a little subtler, I thought, um, and it, I guess it would sort of fit with if you know if Crichton really were in a relationship and and experiencing new things. Um, so I don't think it's you know out of character. Or it didn't strike me as a bad thing. No, no, it, it completely works for the context of that part of the episode, doesn't it? I know yeah. they did at least See? one day pre-record, and um, I know that the scene with the uh, Kachansky, um, uh, Camille was actually in the reshoots. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, of course. That whole scene, you know, we sort of glossed over that scene, but Lister's come on lines were really funny. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, Doctor. Are you? <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Seems like the sort of bits that he would be pulling with uh, with Peterson. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so yeah, they have her the date at Paris, mm-hmm. name it yeah. so they can, you know, shoehorn the line in later on. Uh, one quick and her thing, mate on, comes, uh, sorry, and he, he is her. Sorry, one oh, no, quick ahead. thing about the set of the of the Paris bar that was not a favor mm-hmm. of production designer Mel Bibby. It, he thought it was a complete disaster. He didn't like it at all. They were just hmm. using bits of set that they previously acqu- acquired because they ran out of money. Hmm. Isn't it just the I bar from the last day with loads of parrots dotted around? But yeah, I, I, well, <laughs> mainly, yeah. But I think they wanted to do something bigger and better. But they just ran, they, they literally uh-huh. just ran out of cash. Well, it's just for one little scene, you know? Well, they may be wanting to make like a 10 forward. Ah. For use in in future episodes now that they actually have a set. Mm. Or a full-time studio, rather. Mm Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think we pretty much covered everything. Uh, 
the other slime thing comes and uh, Crichton tearfully tells her to get mm. on that spaceship. Recreates the final scene of Casablanca. Mm. Yeah. It was, a, it was I, I think, a very nice episode. I was quite satisfied with it. Mm-hmm. I liked all the Casablanca references. Mm. To actually use film footage of Casablanca would have wrecked the series. Um, trying to get clearance to actually use scene, uh, your, the scenes of Casablanca in the cinema would, was oh, yeah. prohibitively expensive, apparently. I'm, I figured that because they're real protective of that mm. movie. So, we, I guess, need to go ahead and rate this episode. Unless we don't have any other points? Unless there are any more points uh, to cover? No, I don't believe I have. As I'm rushing through my notes. Alrighty, well, Nick, as our guest, you get uh, first dibs. Um, okay, I'm... Uh, it's not one of my favourite episodes ever. Um... In fact, I think it's possibly my least favourite of the series. Um, partly because there's... Now, um, j- uh, if you could, if you could uh, clarify, by series, do you mean the entire show or this season series? Of this, se- of this <laughs> season. Of, okay. uh, yeah, it's my least it favourite of the yeah. six of, se- of se- uh, season four. Um, part, I think partly because I've not seen Casablanca, so I don't get the references. But... Also, I just I always feel like more. there's lots you need of. To watch Casablanca. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might have to do that. Um, might change my perception somewhat. But I just kind I kind of feel that not a lot really happens. There's a lot of funny and there's a lot of like really funny moments. But by the end of it, nothing's really changed. Um, apart from Crichton having experienced some emotions, but he's quite happy to just let them go at the end of it. Um. So yeah, I'm gonna give it f- uh, just give it five out of ten. Um, Valkyrie warriors scantily dressed. All right. Nice, Angela. What say you? Um, I really liked it. Um, I especially liked it in comparison to our previous uh, series premiere. That you know shall live on in infamy. <laughs> um, I like that it was character driven. Um, I'm sort of missing character development for the other characters. You know, we've had a lot of Crichton after getting no Crichton, um, but you know, it was a lot of fun, and especially the Camille character. As I said, um, it could have been like you know she's a stereotypical female um, or, you know, evil or something like that. I was expecting her to be, like, evil, but they made her, like, this very, very sympathetic character. So uh, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 uh, a double cat uh uh, high fives. Nice. 
Well, I um, I think I was a little more forgiving of this episode. It's true we're, we're getting a lot of Crichton, but uh, as you said, you know, we didn't have any Crichton before, and <laughs> um, I think it was needed. Uh, now, hopefully, we will be you know getting back to Lister and Rimmer, and maybe even Holly will have a scene or two in in, mm-hmm. in future episodes. Um, but no, I, I think I still think this was needed. It, it really helped me see Crichton as a as a complete character. Um, and I think as far as you know what's changed now, I haven't seen the episode after this, so who knows? But Crichton regain or gaining a bit of his humanity and and realizing the value in uh, deceit and and being able to choose uh, to to disobey if, if necessary for, for the greater good, uh, for the greater good. Um, <laughs> I, I think is, uh, I think it was, was, was actually a ra- rather poignant for me. Um, so I'm going to give this eight, uh, teta tentacles. Well, that's, I suppose it's my turn to write now. <laughs> um, I not, a, I'm not a huge fan of the episode. To be honest with you, I mean, it's got some, yeah. it's got some really, really great, um, gags in it. Um, the opening scene with Crichton, or at least just trying to teach Crichton how to lie. Mm-hmm. And the cat, and cat scene. But over, overall, mm-hmm. I think it's quite weak. So I'm gonna have to give it five green blobs. I'm sorry, I, I had a Skype bleep and missed sorry. your rating system. Five, Five what? Blobs. Nice. All right, well, that is what we thought about the episode. Tell us what you thought about this episode or a future episode or our show or, you know, pretty much anything. Um, you can get in touch with us on our Facebook group, which you should join because we got like 64 members now and we need more. Um, we need all of the members. So join up. Uh, leave some comments. Uh, you can uh, tweet uh, tweet at us uh, via the Twitters, and that is at... Twitter.com slash Intro. Or you could email us at the Red Dwarf Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you could uh, get on iTunes and subscribe and, you know, maybe even leave a review. Say, like, this is the best podcast ever! With, like, all caps, E-V-A-H, and, like, lots of exclamation marks. <laughs> or not. You know, whatevs. Um, uh, so those would all be good things to do. Have he- uh, if you're going to be talking about a future episode that we might not have seen, keep it spoiler-free. Uh, or well, don't keep it spoiler-free, but let us know at the beginning that you're talking about uh, a future episode so Angela and I can wait until we've seen it to read it. Have, have we yeah. had any reviews on the American um, iTunes store yet? I haven't checked. I don't know. Last I checked, Uh, we didn't. Okay, just just wondering. Good, we've got a turn on the UK uh, iTunes store. Yeah, we um, we have uh, I think more UK listeners, which you know makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Red Dwarf, uh, it it definitely has an American following, but I don't think quite as as uh, large a following as say Doctor Who or some of the some of the more you know uh, popular shows. Um, which, you know, I think is a shame because Red Dwarf, it's, it's, it's a hoot. I think it could, uh, it should hop the pond more than it has. 
So, I is it do time not. for feedback or ad or something? Let's play. Let's. Let's play with tradition. Let's play in the ad from these lovely people. Wake up. Go to work. Work. Come home. Eat dinner. Rot your brain out. Go to bed. Lather. Rinse. Repeat. Are you tired of an old humdrum life? Tired of things that just weigh you down and depress you? Wouldn't you rather just focus on things that are awesome? Tune into Nutty Bites. Find out what's awesome. Nutty Bites. Nimlas.org slash blog. And we are back, and it is time for feedback. Uh, let's pop over what? to the Facebook group. Yeah, we've got mail. <laughs> um, let's see. Russ Greeno says, it's a Crichton-heavy episode. Feels like it uh, carries straight from Series 2, with the more rebellious Crichton learning how to lie. Yep, I totally agree. Uh, yeah. He gives it 8 Czechoslovakian traffic wardens out of 10. As well he should. Uh, Ewan says, uh, it's the weakest episode of the series, but still strong. Just shows how good the series is. Um, Crichton lying, cat, perfect partner, virtual fish tank thing. I agree. That was really yeah. cool. Sam, Sam had, had series four. Uh, woohoo! I like VHS. <laughs> I remember um, Camille. Good, lots of laughs. Um, lots of cues about tra- Casablanca. Yes. Uh, least favorite from the series. You know, everybody is saying that. That's so surprising because this was such a strong episode for me. Granted, my tastes aren't always, you know. In, uh, in line with the, the, the main fandom. Yeah. Uh, neither is Angela's. It's three out of ten. <laughs> but um, I'm curious to see how the rest of the series plays out. It's going to be all backwards. It's going to be all camera gags with absolutely no characters. And it's we're going to be really confused. Um, Paul Hasley is surprised that people are saying it's their least favorite of the series and says that that title would be reserved for something that he can't talk about right now. And yes, I agree with you, Paul. It is a shame that Holly doesn't get a counterpart as well. I miss Holly having any part in the series whatsoever except to give a one-liner here or there. Remember that that was originally Holly's purpose. When they originally wrote Red Dwarf, it was always meant to just be brief voice voiceover parts here and there and Norman had know, to fight to be but... seen on screen so may, uh, it may not be deliberate but partly possibly subconsciously as they've written Crichton in they've sort of been writing Holly back to the way they originally intended hmm. I know but it just feels wrong when suddenly we have a female Holly so she gets less of a part <laughs> I know it's probably not intentional, but it feels wrong. Anyway, um, Nick tells people see. off for stealing the good scoring systems. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Which it's we all managed to avoid yeah, as well. Exactly going yes. for it, really. <laughs> <laughs> none, of, none of us touched on them. <laughs> Uh, let's see, what does Sam says? Ignore my score rating, feel free to steal it. <laughs> Who cares? Um, we, we can come up with scoring systems. We are pros. We are professional amateur podcasters. Um, 
focus on being Crichton's love story. Not much room for the big laughs. You see, I I get more laughs in a, a more character-driven setting myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure the show will be liked better than Backwards purely because of the exploration of the character's innermost desires. See? You get it, Sam. Yep. Such as Craig Charles' girlfriend. Uh, there were deleted lines revealing that she was Kachansky. Yeah, we talked about that. Uh, Crichton is my favorite character aside from Holly, says Paul Hadsley. Winky smile. So any episode that is Crichton heavy gets my vote TBH. What's a TBH? To be honest? I think a raspberry sound. Ah. To be honest. honest, Yeah, I think Nick had it. Oh, I was trying to make it into like a fart sound with your mouth (laughs) thing. (laughs) Oh... I'm silly. Anyway. Yeah. And, uh, yep, that's pretty much it. Um, thank you all for the feedback. Thank you. So, having done feedback, much. it's time for the quotes. The quoting of the and quotes. And, Nick, because you are our special guest, you get to do the first quote. Okay. Um, I've decided to try and avoid the obvious to begin with. Um, but... In, in in the early bit with Lister trying to teach Crichton how to lie, um, yeah. you've got where, yeah when Crichton, yeah, when when Cat walks in and Crichton's getting it wrong, um, he's like oh you told him that that's terrific you should audition for what's my fruit. <laughs> nice. Who wants to go next? I've got several uh, quotes. Uh, so I'm cool. I'll go next, and if you don't mind. Uh, you, sir, are as me. As me? You're as me. He! As me. He? <laughs> a complete and total one. Uh, I only have one, so I'll go ahead and go. Okay. It's a banana. Cool. That's it. Okay. I just thought that was okay. hilarious. <laughs> did any did anyone else Let's notice um, when Crichton first walks up to meet Rimmer outside of yeah. Starbuck, he's still carrying yeah, that banana. I did actually. I only know I, I was rewatching the episode today, and it was the first time I've, I've noticed him do that. And I, I'm wondering whether there was like the meant to be another scene that they then dropped or something involving that banana later on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, Rimmer does say that uh, that Crichton has gone crazy waving a banana in his face. and mm-hmm. uh, This is true. So let's see. I had... Oh, spin my nipple nuts and send me to Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody have a secondary one? Because I've got lots. I've got, I, I I've got one more then. Uh, please, I can't make you shit, mate. Excuse Trust me. me. You don't know them. You'll like them. Well, some of them. Well, one of them. Maybe. <laughs> nice. Let's see. Um, You realize we have an awesome responsibility. We do? Yeah, sure we do. We've got to rebuild the human race as quickly as possible. Do you want to start now or do you want to clean your teeth first? <laughs> I like the idea that Lister's got a Batman, uh, a Spider-Man costume for those sort of occasions as well. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 
I I laughed really hard at that one. See, I kept laughing at things, so I forgot to write down quotes. Let's see. Did I have any more? What is that fragrance? It smells divine. WD-40. I knew it. I use it on my neck hinges as well. <laughs> um, goodness, I think I even had one more. Oh, yeah. It's like trying to urinate in a public lavatory when you're standing next to someone two feet taller than you. It's just not possible. <laughs> okay, I've got to do this one okay. since no one else did it. It's the old story. Droid meets droid. Droid becomes chameleon. Droid loses chameleon. Chameleon turns into blob. Blob gets blob back again. Blob meets blob. Blob goes off with blob and droid loses blob. Chameleon and droid. How many times have we heard that story? <laughs> A lot. Indeed. <laughs> Just well, I'm finally out. Any, anybody have any more? Nope. I'm all out as well. Oh. Okay. Well, Nick, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. That's a no problem. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So what are we and watching next? I time? am watching uh, DNA. DNA. TNA? What? <laughs> Not TNA. Mind oh. out of gutter. <laughs> This is a family show. We can't have that kind of talk on this show. Uh, DNA. Hmm. So we're we're going to be led to think that it's some sort of it's about you know DNA, genetic material. But I think those letters stand for something else. Okay. Maybe some sort of organization. That um, possibly Rimmer used to belong to, maybe. Okay. Hmm. That's that's a bit of a okay. okay. Um, I think it will be to do with with DNA, the 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 good old double helix. Um, trying to think though, because I mean Rimmer really doesn't have any DNA. Not anymore. Uh, neither would Crichton, being an android. I suppose he's purely mechanistic and not uh, not organic in any way. That then would limit it to uh, Lister or Cat. Um, I think it's more likely Lister because we're still dealing with where is humanity in this three million years in the future future. <laughs> Maybe his toenail clippings have mutated into their own life form. I'm going to go with uh, yet another things mutate into weird sci-fi plots after three million years. And so a bit of Lister's DNA has been breeding into a sentient race, um, and it's going to appear, and they will confront it. Okay. Cool. So that's that's my thought. Okay. So we will see uh, when we review it uh, next week. Possibly. You know, folks, uh, the holidays are coming up. We're probably going to have to figure out exactly when we're going to break and when we're going to come back uh, for the holidays. Um, 
As far as I know, we are recording next week, though, so. Yeah, yeah we certainly are. Uh, well, I think it's time for us to end it. And for our um, ending theme this week, Nick, do you want to say a few words before we say goodbye? Uh, yeah, um, Shane asked me earlier on if it was alright to use this. Um, it's a track by uh, a band that I play in called Rivalries. Um, it's called uh, The List or Ten Things. One of the two. I don't think we've quite decided on which. Um, but it's uh, it's the promo track from our EP, which will have been released by the time this podcast is out. Um, so if you go to like uh the rivalries facebook page or uh rivalries are fun dot co dot u k um all the information's there if anyone's interested wanna hit us up be friends be fans whatever you can get the music it's um out on vinyl and download so um yeah if you like if you like this song then check out the rest of it awesome awesome Very cool so, have you listened to uh, uh, Nick and Smack of the Heads? <laughs> no, wait. Um. Um. Okay, so I guess it's time to say goodbye. It's goodbye. Bye, everybody. Goodbye.